This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read them again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we thank God for his word. And we pray that over these next weeks and months, we would delight in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. I've known this day was coming for the past six months. The day that Eden Grove Presbyterian Church would return to live Sunday morning worship. And for most of that time, I've been pondering and thinking and praying about what it is that I would say when we had returned. What it is that I would preach when the day came that I could stand in the pulpit and look at all your wee faces once more and proclaim something. And I've thought, well, do you know, a lot of pressure there. Maybe I'll come with answers to the COVID crisis. Maybe I'll come with some dramatic word of prophecy. Maybe I'll come in a sparkly jacket and lower down from the ceiling while a socially distanced choir are singing their wee hearts out. But of course, none of that is important. So I've decided to get back to my convictions. I've decided to return to what I've always wanted to do and be as a preacher, and that is to preach the whole counsel of God. As I've already said this morning, we're only a few places in the New Testament that we as a church have not been over the past 12 years. Matthew's Gospel, John's Gospel, the Book of Acts, the two Timothys, and here 2 Corinthians. Long before there was such a thing as COVID-19, I'd hoped and prayed and planned to preach 2 Corinthians at some point this year. Well, my brothers and sisters, that point has come. And by the grace of God, both online and live and in person, we will work our way through this book over the next few weeks and months. It is a book that, if you know anything about it, you will know that Paul writes to the Corinthians to defend his ministry. There's a, a tense and strained relationship at times. There are many false apostles that are pointing at Paul and saying, I have nothing to do with him. Don't be listening to him. And so Paul, no doubt, with tears in his eyes, rolling down his cheeks, writes to defend himself and to inform them and remind them that all he sought to do among them was to preach Christ and him crucified. I love both letters to the Corinthians. I'm going to make sure that the series I did on 1 Corinthians a few years ago is front and centre on the church website. So if you want to go and listen to that again, you can certainly do so. But today we get into letter 2, 2 Corinthians. And today we focus simply on the first three verses. Three verses which, as I've read them and prepared them, I found to be absolutely extraordinary. 
See, today we are back, live and in person, back in the pulpit, back in a seat, maybe not our own seat, but in a seat, nevertheless. And today is extraordinarily wonderful and significant. You may not have noticed this. I hope you have, but perhaps it, it just swept over you because you're so used to it. But just a few moments ago, I picked up my Bible and I read from God's Word and I read 2 Corinthians verses 1 to 3 in chapter 1. They're so easy to read. I'll read them again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Ikea, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those verses often are skipped over. They're just the greeting. They're just the hello. So let's move quickly and get to the good stuff. But if we take that attitude, we miss so much. It begins with Paul reminding the Corinthians that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. He is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and he is there with his friend and brother Timothy. Now why is this important? Well it is as I have said that there are many who are pointing the finger at Paul and accusing him and doubting his authority as an apostle. Now you and I are not in that number I certainly hope. But Paul writes and says I am an apostle of Christ Jesus and it is by not the will of man, not by a political scheme, but by the will of God. My brothers and sisters, this very hour, these past few moments, you have had, heard nothing more and nothing less than the glorious word of God. And we as a church are built on the foundation of Christ, the, the chief cornerstone as we heard last week, built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Do you see what I did earlier on? When I picked my Bible up and read those three verses, do you see what I did? I read the apostolic teaching of the Apostle Paul. I read verses full of weight and truth. I read the very words of God spoken and inspired by the Spirit and, and from the mouth and the pen of his servants, the apostles. Now that makes today awesome. I have no sparkly jacket. There is no choir behind me. There is nothing that I come to pretend that I have some divine insight, some miraculous prophetic message about when COVID-19 is going to come to a close. But I have realized once again in this past six months that we as a church, what do we need more of? We need more of the word. Not entertainment. Not more organizations. Not more distractions to keep us occupied on a Thursday night. What do we need? We need more of the Word. More of the Word of God in our own lives. More of the Word of God read in our pulpit and preached faithfully. We need more of what God has said. I don't come today pretending to be a smiling, white-teethed American tele-evangelist, and if you send in money and, and touch your fingers to the screen, then I will give you some miracles. That's all nonsense. But I come with my Bible. I come with the Word of God. I read it. I preach it. And the church is blessed by it. I hope you don't think that's arrogance. I hope you don't think Scott thinks he's amazing. I really don't. But here is my contention, here is my conviction in any church across this world, any church in Balnehinch and beyond, if you have a congregation where the word is read faithfully and proclaimed truthfully, 
then you are a very blessed believer indeed. We always get into debates in church, don't we? We say, oh, he's not a very good preacher. Or we say, I don't really like the music. I much prefer the organ to anything else. We say all those things. We get ourselves distracted. We fight over whether we should join up, whether we should be first and second or just one. We argue over who gets to use the hall, who lives in the manse, all those things. We fight and we argue. And what do we need more of? decreasing servants of God, decreasing men and women that say, we decrease, he increased, and we proclaim the life-changing, wonderful, power-filled word of God. That's what I plan to do over these next weeks and months. I don't come with answers. I don't come with lofty speech and lots of wisdom. Instead, I preach Christ and him crucified and his word. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul is a, a man who has written just about half of the New Testament. Some argue that he shouldn't have Hebrews assigned to him. I know what I am about to say is problematic in the eyes of many, but I do, I'm comfortable saying that, that we can find and trace Hebrews to Paul. I, I argue that. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, that's my thinking. Half the New Testament written through Paul, and yet there are still some who will say today, oh, Paul was, was homophobic, Paul was misogynistic, oh, we should look to more words of Jesus than we should look to the words of Paul. I've come across that argument and that thinking quite often in many sources, but again, once more, it is absolutely false. This Bible of mine, as I was writing in the devotions this week, it has got the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in red. Do you see that? There's Jesus' words and other ordinary words just written in black. Whilst I love this Bible, I, I don't love that bit, because it says to me that somehow only the words of Jesus matter. The words of Jesus are, are more important than the words of Paul. No. Today I proclaim that from Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture proceeds from the mouth of God. And so if we say that we've got a problem with Paul, we've got a problem with Jesus. We've got a problem with the divine authorship of books like 2 Corinthians. We have no problem with Paul, I hope, in our church. Instead, as we sit under his apostolic teaching over these past few months, or over these next few months, I pray that the Spirit would move in our midst. He will bring sinners to repentance and faith, and he will strengthen and equip his saints. That is my prayer. I pray it in this series, and indeed any series that I've ever preached. This letter comes from the Apostle Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and the apostles are no more. Their ministry was, was foundational. There are many still in this world today who will claim that they are apostles. They'll maybe write it on their business cards, but they are telling you lies. The office of apostle is closed. It is gone. It is temporary and it is foundational. But we have it. We have the teaching of the apostles in the New Testament. The apostles were men who had witnessed and seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, we read this about the apostles in Acts chapter 1 and verse 22. One of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. 
the disciples were replacing Judas and they were wondering how they would do it and who would take that title and they knew that whoever takes it must be a witness to the resurrection. There's nobody that can claim that today so therefore there are no apostles today. The apostles were men who had seen the resurrected Christ and they were men who had been sent out and appointed directly by Jesus himself. In Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 3 uh, and verse 14, here's what we read. Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So here are the apostles. They have seen the resurrected Christ and they have been directly appointed by Christ. Paul can claim both of these things. He meets Christ on the road to Damascus and he is directly appointed by Jesus to preach the gospel. And they are men who are able to confirm their ministry and their calling with the signs of the apostle. In the letter that we are looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, and we will spend time in this by God's grace when we get there, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Again, today there are many who claim that they are able to do signs and wonders. They claim that they are able to speak in different kinds of tongues. But I believe that those gifts were temporary and foundational and belonged only to the apostles. They were the signs of the apostles to show that their ministry was authentic. Paul is one of these apostles. Paul is a man who is able to claim all of these things by himself. And so that when we get into this book and when we read it and when we come across a line that says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, then immediately our little Presbyterian ears should be picking up and saying, let's listen to this. This is what we need. Not debates and arguments over style of music or, or how many organizations we've got or how long the service is going to be or what color the carpet is or any of the stuff that often blights our churches. We need to have ears picked up and attuned to the word of God. This letter, this second Corinthians comes directly from Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that one of the things that we have missed as a congregation is the live and in-person preaching of the Word of God. Certainly we have done our best to, to preach into your lives every single week. We've tried our best to write devotions so that, that you can read the Word of God and attend on to it on a daily basis. But nothing beats coming together as the church. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but coming together, seeing the whites of our eyes and sitting under the word read and the word proclaimed. Nothing beats it. And so it is my sincere prayer that in response to 2 Corinthians, in response to the word of God, that the Spirit would do a work in our lives and transform our hearts and give us a hunger more and more and more for the very words of God. Imagine if, if all... Uh, the, the church on this island of ours went back to their public worship services. Imagine if we went back with different attitudes. Imagine we went back leaving the grumps to one side and we went back to those grand old buildings or those school assembly halls or wherever it is we meet and we went back with a heart that said, Lord, speak. Speak because we are listening. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We praise God for his precious word. 
And in this regard, my brothers and sisters, something extraordinary is going on this morning. Look at the freedom we have got to proclaim this online, to proclaim it in person. If I wanted to go down the street today and preach the gospel, I could. What a privilege it is to be a believer in Ireland today when we can stand and proclaim that Christ is the King, that Christ alone saves sinners, that the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is for you to make you wise on the salvation. What a joy it is. And may we not miss it. As our view and our opinions get shaped by all sorts of different other things which, which quite frankly blight us as fellowships up and down this island. Something extraordinary is happening right now as the word is read and the word is preached. And it is as we read in Psalm 119 and verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. We praise God for this apostolic teaching. But Paul is there with a brother in Christ, a young man called Timothy, as he tells us at the end of verse 1. Timothy and Paul have come together uh, in a city called Lystra. Paul recruits Timothy uh, to his little traveling band of evangelists. And Paul uh, loves Timothy and, and writes two letters to him and encourages him in the ministry. And indeed, we believe that it is Timothy who has carried 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. But by this stage, Timothy is back by Paul's side. Here are these two men, two parts of the church of Jesus Christ. And who do they write this letter to? The second part of verse 1 tells us they write to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. My brothers and sisters, here again we marvel. Here again is what we have missed, I hope, so desperately much over these past six months because Paul writes to the church of Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the gathered brothers and sisters, the, the men and women who have been loved by the Lord and he has laid down his life for them. Paul writes to the church. Sometimes it, it grieves me that in Northern Ireland today we have little to no regard for the church. We treat it like a local branch of littles. We go in and we get the stuff we want and we're happy. Or we go in and, and they don't have a kayak for sale that day and we're, we're a wee bit grumpy. And so what do we do? We go to B&M. That's often how we treat the church. Give me what I want as a consumer or I will go somewhere else. Impress me and make me smile as a consumer or I will leave and split the church and phone my local school to see if we can start up a fellowship in their assembly hall. And indeed, I know in Ballinahinch today, there are at least three individuals who have started the Independent Garage Fellowship. Now, I jest. They're three brothers in Christ, but they're listening today and they know I'm not for these independent fellowships. But that's what we do, isn't it? That's often what we do. We divide and split and argue. Why? Because I'm not getting what I need and want out of that church. My brothers and sisters, if you go to a fellowship, whatever it might look like, if there's damp on the walls and, and some outlet in the pulpit and you think, oh, this is rubbish, I wish I could be to that fancy schmancy place down the street, may we grow in our love for the church of Jesus Christ. Long ago, 
when I was applying for the ministry. Uh, a veteran in our church, an old lad, I'll not tell you his name because he'll, he'll phone me and be cross, but he, he spoke to me and he said, Scott, do you want to change the church? And I said, as a young firebrand, a young revolutionary, yeah, I want to change the church. He said to me, Scott, well, first you've got to love the church. You've got to love the church. There's things that I heard yesterday that I can't remember today, but I remember that from, what, 17 years ago or something? Do you want to change the church? I do. Well, you've got to love it. Paul loved it. There are people in Corinth that caused him trouble, caused him difficulties, call him names, say he's not an apostle, he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a fraud, don't be listening to him. And yet he writes this letter and it drips with love and affection and he speaks to the church of God that is in Corinth. He speaks to a fellowship of imperfect men and women who he loves and he, he wants them to know Jesus. Paul, the apostle, writes to the church. Paul speaks of the church and, and he doesn't think of it the way you and I do as this sort of place that you can go and take what you want and then go somewhere else if you desire. His attitude isn't consumeristic like it often is in 2020. Instead, when he speaks of the church, he speaks of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we want to realize and, and expand our vision of the church, it is helpful for us to know what she is. It is the church of Jesus Christ for whom Jesus died. I know sometimes in our thinking, we, we think, well, Jesus died for everybody in this world. Well, if that's the case, why are there so many in hell? Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church. It is the Apostle Paul who famously in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 urges wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Verse 25 tells us that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and give himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who lays down his life for this precious body, the church of Jesus Christ. And so today, my friends, if you are at home or whether you are live and in person in a church somewhere up and down this country or even in this town of Balnehinch, do not despise the church because the church is the bride of Christ. Now we make a distinction between the visible and the invisible church. The visible church is returning to worship. We see the buildings of the visible church. We see gatherings of the visible church. When you are sitting in your fellowship in your favorite pew and you look around, you can see the visible church. But the true church is the invisible church. Its membership is made up of those who have turned to Christ in repentance and faith. Its membership is known only to God. But the church belongs to Jesus. Paul doesn't look at the church in Corinth and, and sees a fellowship that once had its day, but now we need to plant 17 other churches in the same street. Instead, he writes to this church and he urges them to, to look on to Jesus. 
he strove, as we've already heard in this service, to, to know nothing among the Corinthians except Christ and him crucified. Today, wherever you meet, today, however you worship, today, wherever you call your home church, May the past six months have given you a great hunger and fire in your belly for the local church of Jesus Christ, a little outpost of heaven, part of the kingdom of God where the word is read and the word is preached and the sacraments are administered and where discipline is exercised. Here is the true church and may God forgive us for when we treat it with absolute contempt. But the Corinthians were not standing on their own. It wasn't just the Corinthians who were the church. Paul also writes in this letter to the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, this Roman province of Achaia. And I find that very hard to say. I keep wanting to talk about Ikea. But Paul isn't writing about saints who are down in Belfast at Ikea looking for a forest cupboard for their kitchen. Instead, he is writing to the Christians who find themselves in this Roman province of Achaia. And he calls them the saints. The saints who are in the whole of Achaia. My friends, there are those in this world today that say the saints are this like elite group of believers. They've led virtuous lives. They've died and gone to glory. And now we pray to them and by their intercession, a miracle happens here on earth. And the boy in the white suit, and I'm not talking about Benny Hinn, I'm talking about the big Pope. He will declare them to be saints. But that's not a biblical notion. Here the apostle says, I'm writing to you, the church, the ecclesia, the gathering in Corinth, and all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Today, the significance of who we are is before us in this wonderful book. Because instead of seeing ourselves as the only show in town, the one last hope for all this world, the, the greatest church that has ever been, the gospel has never been preached in Balnehinch before except by us. Nonsense. When we have that small vision of the church, we, we fail to see what God's word says about it. And Paul, who believes in the church and who loves the church and who spends his life preaching to and building up the church, is someone who realizes the church extends beyond our boundaries, beyond our walls, and it is in all around us, all throughout this world. From Balnehinch to Buenos Aires, from everywhere in between, north, south, east and west, Wherever the gospel has been preached and men and women have come to believe it, there is the church of Jesus Christ. Do you see the significance of that, my friends? Do you see the significance of what you have heard this morning? The apostle preaches and the church is built. In just one wee verse in the greeting in 2 Corinthians, we could spend all day there. And what a blessing it would be. See, you and I, have taken church life, I think, for granted for far too long. Up until March, everything was going on as it always did. We came, we sat down, we did our normal things, we talked to the normal people, or we came in, we didn't talk to anybody. Maybe had a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, maybe we looked at the announcements, maybe we, we nudged a wife and we didn't like the song. 
Maybe we looked at the watch and we'd run out of polos and Woodburn was still talking and it was ten past twelve. I think we took all these things for granted. But now that we are slowly and surely moving back to some sort of normality, I ask you this week, how will you return to church? See, I think the old saying is true that familiarity breeds contempt. And I suspect for many of us, we have become so familiar with the church of Jesus Christ that we have grown to a place where we just do not love it anymore. And how do we respond? Well, we'll stay in the same place and moan and grumble and complain until a new minister comes. We'll give him six years, but then we'll moan and grumble and complain once more. Or if we're not prepared to put in the long years of moaning and grumbling like that, we'll go to another fellowship somewhere and inevitably after a couple of years the, the glossy sheen will come off that and we'll start looking about for somewhere else. Unfortunately, often in Northern Ireland, that's what passes for normal church life. But as we return to church, I pray that we will not return to normal. As we return to church and things get back to normal, I pray that you and I will, will fight against a return to the grumping and the moaning and the complaining. That we will not see ourselves as malcontents gossiping and slandering all around us in the local visible church. But instead we will realize the beauty and significance of the church, the body for whom Jesus laid down his life. And we will come to fellowship full of prayer, a desire for service, a desire for fellowship, a desire to sit under and grow under the word of God. May these things mark renewed and reformed attitudes to life in the local church. Because Paul, the apostle, writes to the church in Corinth and to all the saints, the children of God in Achaia, but this lovely little greeting finishes with Paul's message as an apostle to the church. And he says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've been preparing for the new season. Preparing to get back to church. Preparing to preach live and in person once again, and that wee thought keeps coming into my head, Scott, what will you say? Here is what I say. I look you in the eye through a screen. And I look you into the eye, live and in person. And with the apostle I say, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He blesses these people with, with grace. God's undeserved, unmerited favour to those who deserve his wrath. Have you thought about that this morning on your way to church? Have you considered the grace of God in your life on your way to church? Have you considered that every breath is grace? 
Every day is grace. Have you considered and reminded yourself of the grace of Jesus Christ as he took your sins to that wicked cross? Have you considered the grace upon grace upon grace that our Savior and friend, our resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus, pours out upon us every day as part of his bride, the church, of which he is the head? Grace upon grace upon grace. And Paul says to these Corinthians, grace to you. Grace to you, this wonderful, glorious, unmerited favour of God to you who deserves his punishment and his wrath. Grace to you. Grace to you. I have no solutions to COVID. I have no idea when we will take off our masks. We won't have to wash our hands as much and, and we can embrace without guilt or fear our neighbours, our friends, our loved ones. I cannot answer any of those things today, but I pray for our wee church in Eden Grove and the church in this whole province and world. Grace to you. May we once again delight in the amazing grace of God to sinners, hell-bound, undeserving sinners such as we. And Paul also here speaks of peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The peace of God that we have when we no longer are considered enemies of God, but instead friends of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And many don't understand that, that as guilty sinners, we are at war with God. We are shaking a fist at God every single day of our lives. And, and to those of you listening who do not know Jesus and you think, I'm not fighting with God, I'm at peace with God. When I get to heaven, he'll let me in those pearly gates and, and he'll pat me on the back for all that good stuff I did in my life. Nonsense. Without Jesus, you are at war with God. But with Jesus, peace to you. Peace to you. Peace that passes all understanding. Sins not counted against you, but poured out upon Jesus. He is the one that goes to the cross for a sinner like you. And if you receive him by faith, peace to you. Peace to you. And so here is how we will start our return to church. Here is how September 2020, a September like no other in my lifetime and the ministry that God has given me, incredibly different and incredibly strange, but here is how we will start. In the word of God, at the pen of the apostle, Paul who is set apart by Jesus Christ to deliver this message of grace and peace to the church of Christ for whom Jesus laid down his life. Here is where we find ourselves. Here is where we start. And by the grace of God, these days that we think are so awful and weird and strange will be filled with more and more of the word and of that wonderful peace as we rest in Christ as he has offered to us in the gospel. Today, we can't fix everything. Today, we can't change everything. Today we would love to be opening our doors to whosoever would come, telling them to sit wherever they want. Today we would love to come to the Lord's table. But instead, as we cannot do those things, we find delight and joy in the unchanging word of God. Paul has a message to deliver. And even after all of these years, it still speaks. 
It is a message that today we wouldn't part for with anything else. If you told me today, well, Scott, what if COVID ended, but you couldn't preach the word of God again, would we do it? I sincerely hope not. It is a message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and grace and peace for all who will believe. And as we return to being the public church in Balnehinch, and before we all start weeping uncontrollably and hugging and kissing one another in the car park, even though we shouldn't, here is what I say to us as a church, scattered and gathered, old members and new members, young and old, celebrating anniversaries or weeping with sadness at those who we have lost. Here is what I say on the 6th of September 2020 to the Church of Jesus Christ in Balnehinch. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord.